G'day and welcome to the Noob Spiro podcast, the show where we interview spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from all around the world. To become a better Spiro, come and join our spearfishing community at noobspiro.com. G'day guys, today we're speaking with seven-time Australian spearfishing champion Ian Puckery. He's got over 40 years experience. He's a mad comp diver. He's won the Australian and New Zealand titles. He's dived all over the world. And now it looks like his son is going to take over the reins. And he's also got, uh, I think, world record job fish. Yeah. I think his son got, which is a massive fish. Yeah, it's an awesome video too for that on YouTube. We should look that up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I know I've I've followed Ian for quite a while and um, a lot of his um, posts have helped me with my diving. I'll tell you what, I like the 83 kilo dog tooth tuna with a pranger as well. That's that's a crazy, crazy interview. Awesome. All right, guys, stay tuned. I wanted to share awesome experiences that you can have when you are in the water, and that's why I started spearfishing. I just clamped down on the reel and got drugged down to about 50 feet, and I'd never had a battle like that before in my life. But when you're learning where to hunt and find fish, they're the hot spots. It's where fish want to be. Don't overcomplicate your gear. Don't go diving dressed up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started off in stubbies with a bloody belt with a pig knife on it. And I've seen this big fin break the surface, roll into the water, look down, here's this nice, Great one. <laughs> Once your face hits the water and you feel relaxed and all the other stresses of life seem to disappear. It's a whole new world and it's mysterious, it's magical. Beats the shit out of knitting anyway. Oh yeah. G'day guys, some massive news for the spearfishing community. Recently, as Adreno opens their third store in Melbourne, a massive 1,300 square metre store full of spearing, freediving scuba, snorkeling gear and even surfing weddies from the top brands. The grand opening is this Saturday. We'll see $25,000 of giveaways, including 150 gift bags valued at $150 each for the first customers, a $1,000 shopping spree for one lucky person who lines up before the doors open, and a table full of prizes from wetsuits to fins and spear guns. There'll also be a free sausage sizzle and heaps of deals. Head to the Adreno Spearfishing Facebook page for more info and enjoy the celebrations. So good day, Noob Spiro community. Joining us today from Bondi is Ian Puckridge. He's, he's bilingual. He speaks fluent Kiwi, having grown up on Bondi. He's uh, also <laughs> he's a multiple Australian champ, seven times, I believe. He's also won the New Zealand champs once. He spent more than 20 years representing Australia in the world champs. He's also involved with um, some of the foundational divers in this country uh, with uh, uh, organisations like the Diggers Club. Uh, so welcome to the show, Ian. Awesome to have you with us. Thanks, guys. So... If we could just get started with where you got started spearfishing, in, how long have you been spearfishing, and and what were some of those first experiences like for you? Well, yeah, I've you know I've been spearfishing for at least forty years. Um, I've lived at Bondi my whole life, so yeah, when I started, it was around Bondi, but um, with not a lot of instruction when I first started. You know, there was no social media, and there were no magazines really in those days. Just the ones in the the clubs so uh yeah i used to just jump off the rocks and i'd find big fish and with my weak rubber on my sea hornet and <laughs> knock scales off knock scales off big dewies and things like that yeah so uh, yeah it was a pretty slow learning curve for me um when a, a mate of mine uh, adam smith when he um he's a little bit older than me when he first started uni he um started playing underwater hockey at uni new south wales uni with all the 
spear fishermen. All the Sydney spear fishermen in those days used to play underwater hockey in winter okay. to try and keep fit. And then I started going in spear fishing comps and sort of progressed from there. Okay. So you mentioned you, you were in a club. So um, was that the, the Diggers Club? No, no. So the spear fishing club I'm in, the sense, is Dolphins. There, there was a club at the Diggers at Bondi, but um, the Diggers has now been knocked down. The that was Ron Taylor and all those guys were in that um, spear fishing club. There were lots of clubs in Sydney in those in sort of the '60s into the '70s, and it was sort of uh, late '70s when that uh, spear fishing club from Bondi closed down. So uh, yeah, there's a, really only. Four Sydney clubs that compete against each other, so San Susie Dolphins, St George, Mossman Whalers and North Shore. Okay. And cool. by the time I started, they were the, the, the really the only four left, and they're still going now. So, yeah, the closest one to me at the time was San Susie. I've been with those guys ever since. How old were you before you started uh, taking some wins in the clubs? Like, How old were you when you first started winning comps? Probably about 20 you know, there's Element Shield competition, which is the they have a competition for Sunday of each month in Sydney, different location each time. Uh, the comps used to go for four hours, and they're just boat comps. Uh, I think the first year I went in, you know, you you get up to a hundred divers turn up to a you know a monthly competition. Wow, that's phenomenal. The year I came, I probably came you know thirtieth or fortieth the first year, and then the following year I won it. <laughs> that's a that's a big improvement. Yeah, I picked it up reasonably quick, and. I, I came from a fishing background, and I used to surf a lot. So whenever it was rough, I'd be surfing, and when it was calm, I'd go diving. So um, I knew a lot of the sort of Sydney area reasonably well. And, yeah, once okay. I sort of worked out the the format of the competitions with species and things like that, I uh, got it together fairly quick. Yeah, it sounds like it. So th- that sounds like a pretty significant improvement like from from – from kind of like with a hundred guys going from forty to taking it out the next year, what what moved the needle for you? Did you did you have a, some some good mentors within the club? Um, not so much. Uh, well, there were good mentors in the club, but um, I used to dive with a fellow at Port Stephens, Paul Reardon, quite a lot, um, and he's a ex ex Australian champion. And yeah, I picked up a lot of tips from him. Cool. So I used to um, drive up to Port Stephens on the weekends and dive with Paul a lot. Again, there weren't that many people that used to dive that sort of area in those days. So we'd, you know, go to places like Seal Rocks and there'd be, you know, lots of big jewfish and kingfish and snapper and things like that. Good fish to chase. And, uh, yeah, it was fun diving. Well, you sound like a fast learner like myself anyway. That's what I put a lot of my success down to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you won your first, your first comp then. How long from then did it take you to take a national title? Well, the first nationals I ever went in... I think I came fourth. That was at Wollongong. So that was uh, 92, I think. And then I went in a Inter-Pacific competition. So that's just all the four people from each country and all the Pacific nations compete against each other. And fortunately, the first one I went in was at Port Stephens. So I knew that area again quite well. So we won that one fairly convincingly. Um, I think the first nationals I won was in Townsville in 95. Wow. Yeah, pretty well the first time to the reef. So I didn't know the fish that well. <laughs> that's but, good, that's um, a good effort. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was quite a good one. But they had everything on the score sheet in those days. So it was humphead Maori raft, <laughs> barramundi cod and all the good things. Oh, uh, the greenies crazy. love that. Oh, yeah. No, so it, it was great. Yeah. Geez, those uh, humphead Maori raft look like a challenging fish to hit. Just being... <laughs> they are. But, um, 
they were never easy. Uh, you know, I, I haven't shot lots of them, but, uh, but yeah, I got a few in that competition, which was good, but not big ones. Um, I, I never really got any big ones, probably only 50 kilos or so. Just, just, did you say 50 kilos or so? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty big fish, yeah. I've got to say. Oh. <laughs> Holy crap. So I guess then, could you, could you share with us the story of the first memorable fish that you speared? Um, what, what species was it? What, what was the kind of the day like and who were you diving with? Oh, God. Um, one that I can really remember was one I lost because um, when I started, it was still um, stainless steel spears and prangers. Yep. So um, we were still using prangers up until fairly recently. So, yeah, I was a pretty slow learner swapping over to speed spears. And, uh, but I um, shot a marlin. It was probably, oh, I don't know, at least 150 kilos uh, wow. with a pranger. And uh, <laughs> I had that on for a while. And that, that was up at uh, Seal Rocks. And I was diving with two mates, and they both had a kingfish on, and then a big marlin came in and went rushing through on the bottom. And black marlin... Uh, well, a lot of the marlin change colours from when they're feeding and when they're swimming. So I uh, came through and it was electric blue and then started swimming to the surface. And I didn't actually pick it as a marlin straight away. Uh, then it turned, went to steel greys. It swam to the top. Wow. And then, yeah, hit it behind the head with a pranger and it opened its mouth and shook its head around and then dragged me off off to sea. And uh, <laughs> but eventually, the, the, eventually the pranger pulled out. But, right. Yeah, so that was... Uh, Quite a memorable one, but unfortunately, uh, I, I struggled a little bit with those big game fish with prangers early in the piece. I, I lost a couple of marlin over the years, but uh, I've caught a few since. I don't think that's a fish you'll ever forget. Like yeah. shooting a hundred and fifty kilo marlin with a pranger, like far out. It's just, it's just unbelievable. Wow. When we first started doing all the blue water, we were still using prangers. So I got a eighty-three kilo dogtooth tuna with a pranger. Um, uh, yeah. uh, a what? Sorry, eighty. 83. 83 kilo dogtooth tuna. <laughs> With a pranger. Oh, that's awesome. Far out. Yeah, there were some big ones running around that day. And, um, yeah, just because we used to use them all the time, we got um, fairly good at using prangers. So um, you just had to get the right sort of – get the right shot on a fish and then uh, you usually landed them. All right, so um, what's your favourite hunting technique, your spearfishing hunting technique, Ian, and how do you apply it effectively? Generally, you know, I'd probably swim into the current. Um, you know, wherever I'm jumping in, swim into the current, try and find bait. You know, I don't really go in competitions as much anymore. I've got a daughter that just turned 16. I dive with her a lot. Um, so, and I, I still swim with Aaron quite a lot. He's 19 now. Yep. Um so, yeah, but I'm training those guys up. So we'll, uh, if we're somewhere on the north coast, you know, you'd jump in the water and then you'd be trying to find a fishy area, you know, up your way. You'd be looking for where the sawtails are schooling or where there's a bit of bait gathering and then, yeah, trying to find some sort of pelagic coming through. Cool. So once you've found bait or, or a school of likely looking fish like sawtails, do you... You just sort of try and get down on the bottom underneath them and and be as quiet as possible? Oh, it depends what you're after. You know, some fish like snappy, you might have to burly to try and get get them in. Uh, you know, with Spanish and wahoo, you know, flashes work quite well. Okay. Um, yeah, it changes with what you're... Around here, you know, we don't... Our selection's not that great, so um, our kingfish are edible in Sydney, so, you know, we're... <laughs> 
yeah, well, you know, they're not that great in Queensland, but, yeah, we um, usually trying to get something like a kingfish. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like you, you pretty much you adapt your hunting technique depending on what you're sort of chasing at the time or what's around. Um, and, I, you know, we've had that advice from guys on the show before. They've said sort of learn one species at a time and, and get good at hunting them. Is that is that kind of the way you've approached spearfishing? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, it's my daughter um, is struggling trying to get Spanish at the moment, so I've been uh, trying to uh, train her up. So she's really struggling with the, the techniques, and I probably haven't been giving her enough information so some of the approaches she's done on them lately when we found them uh, haven't been that great. But, yeah, she's getting better, and um, I try, I'll uh, have to start trying to give her a little bit more information before we get in the water, I think. Yeah, mate, if, uh, if she needs any help, she can just go to noobspiro.com. We've got a great selection there of, uh, <laughs> on how to hunt Spanish mackerel, mate. And uh, I think even the podcast we spoke to, who did we speak to about Spanish? Oh, Rob Allen and Richard Pillins. Yeah. But I was going to say, she couldn't be as bad as me. Last time I got out, Ian, I haven't been out for a while, and um, I, I, we were on this likely-looking bit of reef, and I had three big, big mackerel swim straight underneath me. and Like all around the sort of 20-kilo mark, and I haven't even shot one that big. And I've just dive bombed them like a like a like a big steam train oh, and uh and spooked them all like a like a rank amateur it was brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, oh, she's going a little bit better than that <laughs> down our way you don't run into them that regularly so it's more uh you know there's a um as much skill in trying to find them as there is in trying to catch one i think but uh, you know they're a bit a little bit more common up your way yeah, yeah we definitely. get spoilt sometimes. Yeah, she had that same uh, issues a couple of weekends ago. I took my brother-in-law and his son, and she was trying to uh, catch some dewfish, and she found a couple of spots where there were dewies, and uh, my uh, nephew bombed her a couple of times and spooked the whole school, and uh, she, yeah, she wasn't impressed. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do sometimes. Like, I mean, there's that that feeling you get when you see like big big fish, particularly like they just they just make me my heart rate go up and. And, uh, and uh, you know, like, I'm straight away, just want one. <laughs> yeah, well, she's quite good with that. So, she, yeah, she can do nice dives and got quite a good breath hold, but uh doesn't help when there's someone bombing you. I actually got in trouble. I was driving the boat for her recently, and uh, she was on the bottom, and I put the motor into gear and spooked the school of Jewish she was trying to approach. So uh, <laughs> I got a lecture over that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you got a bit of a family dynasty going there yeah. with uh, with your son and daughter, and so that's pretty awesome. Yeah, no, it's been fun. Mate, uh, you've been you've been diving for quite a while. Have you got any um, sort of memorable near misses or sort of scary moments that you've had on the water? Oh, you know, with sharks, it you know, used to be sort of one a year. Um, yeah, I've had lots. Um, usually in dirty water. You know, I've had guns eaten by bull sharks and all sorts of things. Um, I don't like white as a colour. Um, I had a gun with a white trigger mechanism, and I had a big bull shark swim past the fish and beat the trigger mechanism of the gun. Wow. And, wow. Just, and yeah, I just ended up with a bit of rig cord in my hand and he swam off with the gun, dragging the fish behind him. Oh, I had a big white eater kingfish off my spear at Foster. Can you tell us Can you tell us a bit about that story? Like, what? what, what? Yeah, well, there was a spot that, uh, it's a marine reserve now, but we used to go to and fairly deep offshore reef. Um, it's about... 26 metres to the top and it's usually good diving and this particular day we went there it was clear but um, no fish and I did a few dives, I was there with two other mates and I swam down and one lonely lonely kingfish came through about 15 kilos and I shot it and it 
and often um, the other kingfish will come in and school around them. So I left it on the bottom and then I looked behind me and there was a really big white coming from behind me. Oh, wow. And so I just uh, left the fish on the bottom and just the, let the rig cord run through my hand as I was swimming back to the top. And I could see my mate on the top, so I just sort of aimed towards him. And then I could see the white circling the bommy. And then when I got to the surface, I couldn't see the white. And I wasn't that far from the boat, and I thought, oh, I could probably still land this fish. So <laughs> I pulled the fish to the top, and then the white came flying to the surface and inhaled the fish. And so while he was, um, his jaws were slamming closed on the fish, we bolted got in the boat wow. but yeah that was a it was quite a big shark you know it was sort of round as a car so oh, it was yeah. probably the largest shark i've ever seen in the water how big would you estimate this this size oh, of i shark? don't know it was probably five meters long i suppose it was quite a big Holy one moly. and and when they get that sort of size they just get huge girth i seen one in japan the other day um some guy caught it accidentally and he was taking it to the museum or something, but they had stopped at the fish markets to take photos of the thing, and just the sheer girth of them, they're just, they're just huge. Like um, I think, the, like you say, the girth is more scary than the length. Yeah, well, that was, I always remember, you know, I was on the bottom and saw it coming towards me, and uh, yeah, it was a little bit like a nightmare was that, that big. <laughs> <laughs> did, it, did it play in your mind afterwards? Like, do you, your next dives, like, were you, you thinking about it? Well, we did change spots, but um, <laughs> no, we, we jumped in again. We just um, changed locations. Today's Veterans Vault is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Suppliers. Spearfishing.com.au has a huge range of equipment from the latest in spear gun technology to the odds and ends that you need like bungees, booties and budgie smugglers. Head to spearfishing.com.au to read good honest reviews and take advantage of $15 Australia wide flat shipping and a no hassles returns policy. Alright, well this um, next part of the show is called Veterans Vault. So this is the part of the show where we ask our special guests to take us deep into an area of um, spearfishing expertise that they'd like to share about. And I've um, sort of preemptively teed up to chat with you about spearfishing competitions because you've had such a, um, a long and successful time I spent in the sport doing that, I guess. So um, I guess to start off with, what, what does sort of like an Australian spearfishing competition look like? What's the format and how does it sort of work? All right, so with the, the Aussie titles, they... they um have them in a different state each year. Um, they run over three days. It's a six-hour comp, so um, six hours in the water. You all start at a central location. Our state titles and the nationals are... Um, uh, so it's not a boat comp. So like in New South Wales, they just run them from the shore. So you'd all start at the same rock platform and you can usually go wherever you want. you just got to swim there. You've okay. got to be back within six hours. When they have them in Queensland, you know, they'll have them on a particular reef. But again, you can pretty well go wherever, wherever you want on that reef, but uh, you just got to swim there to get there. And it's a species competition. So, you know, you're trying to get one of each type of fish. So, like in, down this way, you know, be a brim and drummer and, you know, if you're lucky, jewies and kingies, things like that. Okay. Um, I did, uh, we had a, a national championships in the southern part of New South Wales. Oh, a few years ago now, and uh, it was a raging current. Had a big marlin swim up to me, and I just dropped my just dropped my rig cord to the bottom. I put a um, fish head on my rig cord, try and get a red rock cod to come in. So I put a drop weight on, drop the fish head to the bottom, try and get a red rock cod. Look to my left, and there's a marlin's bill about a metre away from me. <laughs> so I just just grabbed the rig cord, clipped my gun on into the centre of the rig cord, spun my gun round, and then it was a marlin's tail about 
a metre from me. And I only had about an hour to go in the comp. And I thought, bugger, if I shoot this thing, I'll be late for the weigh-in. So um, I passed it up. It was about 100 kilo black. Wow. Yeah, nice and close to me. Wow. With with the species, so you said you've got to get one of each species. So you're holding off what to get the biggest of the species you can, then, and that's worth more points than just the total number of fish? No. So the score sheets in the Nationals are 100 points a fish and 10 points a kilo up to 15 kilos. Okay. So, like, the maximum points you can get for an individual fish is 250 points. Yep. A huge fish isn't a, a big advantage. Um, it's more species. Yep. Um, normally they have a minimum weight. depends on the state. Uh, minimum weight of 500 grams. Um, like in Queensland, it, it used to be a minimum weight of a kilo. And, yeah, it's a bit more complicated in Queensland now. They gut the parrots and things like that and other fish have got to be certain lengths. But um, generally that's what it is. So it's more... Um, number of species rather than uh, the biggest ones. So, you know, if you've got a brim that you know that would weigh, you wouldn't bother trying to get another one that's, you know, 100 grams bigger. There's no, no advantage in it. And what would your – let's talk tactics here, okay? So, so you've hit the water, you're, you know, you've got pelagics, you've got some reef species. How do you normally go about it? Do you go, oh, look, I'm going to take this fish, this fish, and this fish first and then work on pelagics later? Or, like, what's your – if you could give us a little bit of an idea of how you go about planning your strategy, planning your strategy and winning seven Australian titles. <laughs> well, like uh, you know, whatever location you're in, it's usually similar. You know, the points that stick out the furthest are normally the best. So, a um, little bit of fitness helps. So, I, you know, you have a, a game plan whether you're going left or right and swim to a, a few of the points. And, you know, and you might end up quite a distance away. I've probably swum five or six kilometres in these comps wow. to get to a particular point. So you might freestyle for, you know, an hour to get to a particular area and before you start diving. And, you know, it'll be the point that sticks out the furthest and has all the pelagics and everything on it. And, you know, you might only get an hour or two diving and then you've got to start freestyling back, dragging all your fish behind you. But, um, yeah, yeah okay. getting away from the crowd. Yeah. Um, look, the fitness helps. So, um, you know, I was diving beside another ex champion once before in South Australia and he had an amazing breath hold that um, took him forever to recover. Yeah. So, um, he, you know, he could stay down forever and shoot a fish, but then it'd take him five minutes to do another dive and I would have shot five or six fish in that time. So, uh, yeah, ah. I sort of buggered his day up. So what you're getting at here is the, is the fitness to cover more ground and... Um, cover, and cover more ground and also recovery. Recovery, yeah. Okay. So, you know, if you can, you know, if you're diving in a group and you can just come up, take a breath, dive back down, it certainly helps. I was going to ask you, you know, what are some of the crucial personal traits someone would have to be a successful diver? So I guess you've just identified fitness. Um, what's the fastest way to develop, like, fitness for competition diving? Is it underwater hockey? Oh, no, I, no, I was never that keen on underwater hockey. Um, diving in comps always helps, or okay. just any diving. You know, we do a, it's a bit different in Queensland where you guys, um, a lot of your diving is boat diving. Um, a lot of our diving down here is from the shore. Yeah. So, you know, you still might swim a couple of kilometres to get to a location you're hoping mm. to get a fish at and, um, and then swim back. So um, it all just plays in with it. And, you know, it's like anything, you know, the more you go, the more luck you have. <laughs> so what what's some of the differences between the Australian and maybe New Zealand comps and some of the other competitions? I mean, you've, you've represented Australia for 20 years and some of the different comps I've had over the world. What, what are some of the different formats and what, what, what are the pros and cons? 
Oh, the, the world championships are a nightmare. So um, we're the poor cousins. So like the European, you know, um, Italy, France, um, Spain, Portugal, all are professionally sponsored spear fishermen. Yep. So they'll, they'll have uh, an entourage of 20 people. And, uh, you know, they don't even have to do their own uh, scouting. So oh, they'll oh. Uh, have all... They'll have their own boats and have guys finding fish for them. And, and in Europe, you know, you might – or one of the ones I went to in Spain, like the the, the best catch was, you know, like eight eels and a, some other scatty little fish. And, <laughs> you know, the water will go from 18 degrees to 11 overnight. Wow. You know, they've got quite variable conditions. That was in the um, on the Atlantic coast. Yeah. But – yeah, they shoot all these horrible little fish, but they'll um, they, they put a lot of um, time in scouting, finding where all these horrible eels and things are. And um, yeah, we we turn up and all sharing some little tiny uh, apartment and all chipping into uh, rent one boat with the, we're all diving out of. And you know, all those guys have got their own big boats zooming around. So um, yeah, okay. it's it's hard to compete against it when uh, you don't really have the finances. And you're paying foreigner tax on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well. <laughs> like the comp system, what would you like to see changed in the comp system in terms of how do you think a comp, like bag limits or like what changes could you see that you think would improve it or make it more fun or really help the cream rise to the top, I guess? Oh, God. Um, you know, I came from um, – when I was uh, younger, I used to go in line fishing competitions and they were just oh, mass slaughter really because it was total weight. So, you know, they'd catch lots of tailor and lots of brim and lots of jewies and all that to uh, to win the, the competition. And even in those days, the spearfishing comps, the one of each type, certainly more selective. And, uh, you know, you'll go go to one area and you'll get a, a certain type of fish and then you've got to move to get, you know, something else. I, I don't know if they need that much change where, you know, it's, it's only the fish that probably less desirable they could probably come off the score sheets. Yeah. But generally, um, they're quite well run. We try and use uh, all the fish that we, we take. But generally, uh, the Aussie comps are, are pretty good. And so when they had the, the recent nationals in Lucinda, in like north of Townsville, um, they organised for everyone to, uh, you know, you could keep some of the fish if you wanted to for your personal consumption. They were donating to the local community and, so at the end of the comp, they were getting all the divers to fill up the fish and they were bagging them up and then uh, they had one of the donating it to the poor or something and they had the, one of the community groups coming and picking up all the, the fish fillets and um, distributing them. So, um, no, good. they were pretty well organised up there. That was um, Max Hayes. He, he was the one, the convener up there and, uh, yeah, he did a good job and was well organised. You tend to find quite a few of the comps that have a similar format now if they're Look, looking like they're going to get quite a lot of fish, they usually try and tie it in with the charity. Well, say, what what comp or what result are you most proud of here? Oh, winning the Kiwi one was good fun. <laughs> um, it was because uh, they're always pretty small spearfishing community in New Zealand, the, the um, competition side of it, but they're usually really good divers. They, a lot of them dive commercially for a living, catching either um, Kinner or Power, and they... Uh, so all their commercial diving over there is done on snorkel, so they're all what? practicing every day. So what what year did you win the Kiwi Comp? Um, 2007. Oh, well, so it's, so, it's fairly yeah, recent. A couple of years ago. 
Yeah, okay. And then I, I, I did dive in one since, but uh, I dived with a, an old Kiwi mate. He's about 70. No. Oh, yeah. So um, that was the last one I went in. So it was a little bit more challenging because he uh, wasn't as keen to swim so far. Now, being 70, I wouldn't want to swim very far either. So good on him for getting in. He was he's still pretty competitive, but, uh, yeah, the swimming side of it uh, – Held us up a little bit. I don't like it. At, I don't like it at thirty. Trying to, I, I just get in behind Shrek because he's a big mum. I just get straight in behind his slipstream, mate, and go, go, go. So actually, one well, of my that, little that always helps. Yeah. <laughs> what was uh, what was that guy's name? The seventy-year-old fella, John Ross. Ah, uh, we have actually. I seen him in a video the other day. That was why I asked. He was um, he was on a, a recent um like a TV show, they they sort of did a summary of the last comp over there and John Ross was still competing. I seen him in the in the film, so good on him. Yeah, no, he's a good fella. He's a good mate of Darren Shields. So um yeah, no, he, he wanted to go in one and he's uh he used to dive with another partner he dived with their competitions are a pairs comp. Yeah. Because they had a lot of issues with um shallow water blackout. So okay. they have um one up, one down, like our inner Pacific competitions. Okay. So one one guy stays with the float while the other one's on the bottom and yep. then you, you swap over. So you come up, give him the speed rig, and you hang on to the float, and then he dives. Um, and that was the way they uh, stopped losing divers, having it, you know, swimming in pairs. And then, yeah. you know, if the other one doesn't come up, you, you got the rig cord attached to him, and you can't find him. Yeah, cool. That's, that's a sensible idea. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you know, there's been a bit of a push to push the Australian comps that way, but definitely um, you guys should, you know, in Queensland where you're diving a little bit deeper. It uh, certainly helps when in pairs like that. Yeah, cool. So in, in our Inter-Pacific competitions, um, originally they were individual comps as well and they had a few people die in those as well. So that's they changed those to a pairs comp. So they've got a five-metre piece of rope attached to the float, so yep. one diver's got to hang on to that the whole time. Yeah. And before you dive, um, the other one comes up, gives you the speed rig, and then you swap. But, yeah, it's good. You know, I... Um, I dived in Inter-Pacifics on the Barrier Reef a few years ago with one of your Queensland fellas, Ben Thompson, and uh, I had a shark about to bite through his fish in his hands, and I uh, was right beside him and was able to uh, fend it off. I bent my spear and killed it stone dead, but... Um, <laughs> 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 it sounds like you fended it, it off very it, aggressively. <laughs> yeah, I, I fended it off fairly successfully, so, it, um, yeah, I just hit it in the sweet spot, but it stopped it biting him anyway. Yeah, yeah nice. Right. Nice. Ben yeah. Thompson's on Sunshine Coast, isn't he? He's a he's a bloody good diver, isn't he? Yeah, he's a good fella. I mean, he beat me in the last nationals in Sydney. Yeah, right. By about half a percent. Oh. So yeah, I should have lifted my game. <laughs> <laughs> what um the when you're doing these pairs comps, uh, the points are they tallied together as a pair, or is it still individual fish, or what's the story? No, just tallied together. So the one I went in in New Zealand, I just had a mate come and tow the float for me. So. You know, one person can shoot all the fish. That doesn't matter who gets them. All right, and his his name still goes down on the on the sheet. So if you win together, yep. Yeah, so he's your pair. But we had to, you know, in that particular one, you had to cover a lot of ground. It was over there were three islands, fairly close together. So we swam all of them, and you know, you had to dive a little. You know, in New Zealand, there's not as many species, so some of it's a little bit deeper, and some's fairly shallow. So yeah, you had to cover all the ground to get all the different types of fish. Okay. You know, boarfish and, or, you know, the kawai and things like that. And the, the, the salmon, you get the white water. Yeah, all yep. those sorts of things. So it is a bit of a tactic to basically just get a sheepdog to swim the surface for you. Like <laughs> Pretty that. well. Yeah, yeah no, that's cool. Because oh, I just imagine if Shrek and I went out um, 
That'd be just blow ups, mate. If I, <laughs> <laughs> if, if I I'd end up shooting him, I reckon, and oh, trying to weigh him in. Holy moly. Well, uh, you know, it's always part of it. It's a bit like that in the Pacific. You've got to get, try and get someone you kind of get along with. Yeah. But, so, so I was going to say, it looks like Aaron's sort of, he's a bit of a chip off the old block, and it sounds like your daughter might be as well. Do, do you see both of them competing like you have? Um, you know, for so long and so successfully? Uh, well, at the moment, Aaron still really enjoys it. Yeah, and he, he, uh, he's been going in the Nationals. Lara's still building up to it. She doesn't really go in the comps yet, but, uh, yeah, she's been shooting lots of good fish. We went up the north coast of New South Wales a couple of weekends ago, and she got a few nice dewfish, and, yeah, she really enjoys it. So, yeah, eventually, uh, she's both of them, Aaron's at uni, so uni often um, dictates whether or not he can go into certain competitions. That's why... Uh, he couldn't go in the inner Pacific this year in New Zealand, and she's doing a or she's in year eleven, so um, yeah, building up to the HSC. So again, um, school will dictate whether or not they can go to different things. So yeah, we'll wait and see. They, they both enjoy it, so um, yeah, they'll probably uh, go in competitions. I'm sure. That's awesome, uh, mate. Um, sorry to jump all over the place, mate. But one question I really did want to ask you: guys are getting into comp diving. What are some must-have gear like? In terms of, I mean, obviously doing big swims, it's exhausting. How have you tweaked or what sort of specialised gear or what would you choose in terms of your whole setup or what stands out to you for good gear for comp diving? Uh, You know, it certainly depends on what state you're in. Um, Like when you're diving in Victoria, they're shooting a little tiny postage stamp fish and it's filthy dirty and freezing cold. So, (laughs) um, Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, But, yeah, you, you... you use a tiny little gun and um, probably a pranger. And then, um, you know, as you go further north, like you guys, probably, you know, just a, a gun you, a gun you use all the time is the best one to use. Like I use a, just a 1300 all the time, even in New South Wales. And then if you, you know, you run into a marlin, you can still land a marlin. And if you um, need to f- shoot fish under rocks, it can get a little bit more challenging. So, um, like, I'd put my hand under the gun and squeeze the rubbers to choke the rubbers to take the power out of it so you don't damage the spear if you've got to try and shoot something under a rock. Uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, there's a few little tricks to it, but it's just using a gun that, you get, that you're happy to use all the time. So, yeah, I just have a 1300, pretty, pretty basic single rubber, so it's quick to reload, and I'm fairly confident where I'm going to put the shot. Generally, it goes... Like, I got a 150-kilo um, black marlin on a dive off Sydney at Long Reef a couple of years ago. I shot a kingfish, came in to eat the kingfish and um, chased it for a while. And it turned, and the head was too far away to have a shot at its head. So I ended up shooting it in the butt. And, you know, it was still a fair way away. So it dragged me out to sea. I had a boat boy, so I called over to him, and he picked up the other diver, and then they just drove alongside me and filmed me and, <laughs> Came me a hard time while I was getting dragged underwater, and it sort of dragged me a couple couple of miles out to sea. And then um, when, when I caught up to it, it was, you could just you could still see the flopper just sitting under the skin. Oh. So uh, yeah, that was a gun that that I was uh, used all the time, and you know I was fairly confident. As soon as it was within range, or some part of it was in range, I could have a decent shot and land it. All right, so moving on, Ian, what is the funniest thing you've experienced out spearfishing? I did find a $100,000 worth of casino chips a few <laughs> years ago at, uh, at, at Bondi. Wow. And 
So I went for a dive one afternoon, found all these casino chips, and I read in the paper that there were these um, illegal or these counterfeit 500s floating around and the, the Crown Casino had uh, stopped um, using them. So I turned up to the police station and, the, and I'm trying to convince the police guy just to give me a receipt for, you know, $50,000 worth of casino chips. <laughs> and he's gone, just go and spend them. And I've gone, look, fairly sure they're counterfeit. You know, just give me a receipt. If they're not, I'll collect them in a couple of weeks. And and then the following day, I had to go out with the water police. And these water police said, look, you know, it's a crime scene. We just want you to show us where they, the casino chips were and then bugger off. And I've gone, fair enough. And then... You know, they're putting all this scuba gear on. I've gone, look, guys, you know, it's a little bit rougher today than it was yesterday. Um, you might be better off without your scuba gear. And they said, look, um, we do this for a living. <laughs> <laughs> and I've gone, yeah, fair enough. And so I've jumped in the water and I've got to the right location and um, I'm just waiting there. And then these two coppers with all their gear have turned up and then this huge wave's come and I've gone down, held onto the bottom, looked up, both cops are gone. They're tangled up in the rocks on the cliff face. <laughs> and so for for about the next hour, they're trying to rescue these two cops. And then, so they've called, they've called me back to the boat and they've gone, how about you get them for us? And I've gone, I've gone, yeah, righty. I said, look, I just want to get out of jail free card and I'll collect all your duty for you. And they've gone, oh, if you've got trouble with the police, we can't help you. And I've gone, look, I don't have trouble with the police. I said, I just want a free pass next time I get pulled over for speeding or something. Like, oh, you're after some sort of reward. We can't give you a reward. Talk to the casino. And so, yeah, they they didn't play ball, but I ended up catching all their casino chips for them and uh, oh. sent them on their way. I would have just charged them for a full-day commercial diving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, pro- I probably should have, but uh, they didn't have much humour at that stage, so uh, Sydney I, I gave eh? up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. That's a pretty good, funny story. Uh, Poco, so what's what's in your dive bag? Head to toe, what equipment are you wearing right now in your day-to-day spearfishing? All right. So the kids and I get sponsored by Torelli, so we're just using Torelli. We use Torelli gear. Okay. Um, I still use penetrator fins, so I've just got the soft carbon penetrator fins, which I like. Yep. Yeah, I use a 1300 gun. Depending on the time of year, you know, you swap with wetsuits because our water temperature varies a lot more than you guys. You know, it's warm at the moment, so I'll sort of wear three mil top, one and a half mil pants, or or even lycra. And then, oh, you wow. know, as it as it gets cooler, I'll put more rubber on. So, you know, by the time it's middle of winter, you'll be wearing a five mil wetsuit. Okay. As your your daughter's in a pen, uh, in a Torelli suit, I've heard from other women that they they are very good suits for women. Are they? What are they like for blokes as well? Are they are they comfortable? Sure, you know I um they're I'm very happy with them. They're um you know gen you can get away with the three mil suit in most areas, and yeah they've been good. Yeah, cool. they're comfortable to wear. So I know you, um a lot of the Queensland guys are now trying to use gun reels and things like that, which I hate. Um so. I use a, a rig cord and a float with a flag because uh, we've had a few incidents in Sydney with divers getting run over by boats, so it's always good to have a float with a flag. Yep. You know, probably a 25-metre rig cord because generally we wouldn't be diving any deeper than that. We use speed rigs, so, you know, and I just have one wrapper of fishing line on my single rubber, one wrapper fishing line. Okay. Um, probably about 350 mil of lead on the spear between the end of the gun and the tip of the spear. Okay. Um, yeah, 
that's about it. So, sounds pretty similar to what Turbo and I are using. We we still use uh, uh, float and float line most of the time, and um, get them tangled up together and have blow ups. It's <laughs> always good. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's a, I think it's a lot better method. Like you always know where your other diver is, and it's pretty scary. All this these guys with reels and uh, you know. We're starting to see a few innovations with it now. Uh, Ian, where where guys are getting onto the fact they need to have a float and flag, but quite often that'll be a um, smaller float with a with a flasher on it, and two guys with real guns will share it. But uh, there there are we we it's not something we ever recommend to guys, particularly when they're starting out to ever use a reel or even in your first couple of years, because it's just a complication, isn't it? Oh, reels are pain in the ass, and every time you fly, you got to adjust them. And um, I I do have a reel, but I, I wear one on my belt. So, um, you know, if you've got to go into whitewater and shoot a dewey, you can drop your rig and then um, clip onto your belt reel. If okay. you're desperate, you can, um, you can use that. Sometimes I use it for snapper. Okay. So I'll anchor my rig and then burly and then trying to, you know, sometimes the rig cord can spook the snapper. But uh, other than that, we always have a, a rig cord attached and they, I'd never uh, really let their or want the kids to swing without one. So, uh, you know, if you're boating, you know where all, the, all your divers are. And, yeah, n- not a fan of um, gun rails at all. Making the switch from plastic freediving fins to a carbon or composite freediving blade makes a huge difference. You, you don't feel like you're finning through mud anymore. Fatigue and soreness in the ankles goes away. Penetrator blades are lighter and more reactive, and they've improved my diving, and I'm sure they're going to improve yours. Check out the custom Noob Spiro Octopus Edition at noobspiro.com. Or for the full range of Penetrator Fins, head over to penetratorfins.com. All right, so uh, next section of the show is called Fast Five Facts for Noobs. It's basically five short, sharp pieces of advice that you would have liked when you were starting out or, or, or five pieces of advice that you'd give to um, young guys and girls that are just starting the sport now that will just help them sort of get going. All right, um... Don't wear too much weight. Yep. Uh, definitely have a float with a flag. Do, yep. Um, don't have to dive particularly deep to get good fish. Probably try and dive with a, with a partner. Yep. So, uh, you know, if you do get in a bad situation, you've got someone to give you a hand. Yeah, just be aware of uh, your entry and exit points. So down here, you know, we've got a lot of cliff faces, so... Some of the spots you can get in, but you can't get back out. So, um, and if the swell picks up, it can get a bit, get a bit nasty. Yeah. So, yeah, just trying to uh, work out a contingency plan where you can get out if it gets a bit rough. Yeah, cool. All right. So, I've got don't wear too much weight. Uh, two, always use a floating flag because then boaties can see you and other boat traffic will be aware of you and hopefully won't run you down. Number three, don't dive too deep because you can get good fish in the shallow. Well, most of the time, anyway. And uh, four, try and always have a buddy. Number five, be aware of entry and exit points because as you identified, like, the swell picks up and you're in trouble if you if you kind of don't have a plan. So that's pretty good. That's cool. awesome. That was one of the fastest fast five facts. I can't believe you just rattled them off like that. That's good. <laughs> Normally, take we do a couple of takes. So, no, it's really good. So you're quite involved with the San Susi um, dolphins down there. If there's um, people starting out spearfishing in, in Sydney area, you, you recommend them getting involved in a club? Certainly helps, and certainly helps with the learning curve. Okay. Um, you know, just going along with the competitions and you see the different types of fish, even the equipment people are using and areas they're diving. So, yeah, certainly um, speeds up a learning process. 
Cool. All right, we, we've we've interviewed Simon Tripp before, and he's talked a little bit about your club. So we, we're well aware you've got a pretty good culture down there. So, um, but look, is there anything else? Any message you'd want to give to our listeners? Oh no, just enjoy it. Um, yeah, be uh, aware of what you spear. So you know, it's not not good to be wasteful. So you know, try and consume. You know, if you're going to shoot something, eat it. Even if they're a bit crappy, then you know not to shoot it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just good to uh, try and consume what you eat. That uh, I suppose everyone's uh, watching what we do these days, and you know, all the lesbian vegetarians want to ban it. And so uh, we've got to be um, mindful of uh, our uh, image yep. with other people. Yep. So be social media conscious and and and, and eat what you catch. Just pretty good parting bit of guidance. Yeah. So um, if people want to check um, check out a bit more about you, Ian, can they do that anywhere? You'd be all over social media, I'd imagine. Yeah, somewhat. <laughs> um, probably Google. Okay. No worries. <laughs> there's um, lots of pictures and things there. Cool. Well, we'll have a full write-up about you on our, on our website and um, people can come in and see some of the photos of the fish you've shot and, uh, and learn a bit more about you. So thanks a lot for coming on the show and uh, it's been really good talking to you. All right, buddy. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for listening today, guys. The uh, Paco interview was an absolute cracker. Uh, I think if you want to get good at spearfishing, join a club. If you want to be awesome, then start doing competitions. And uh, I got heaps out of that. So next week, we cover off 101 beginner setup according to the Gospel of Turbo. Yep, that's right. The 15-metre floatline apprenticeship as coined by prominent New Zealand Spiro. Luke Potts. Luke Potts. <laughs> All right, stay tuned for that one. Thanks for listening to today's show. Make sure to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And to learn more about becoming a better Spiro, visit us at noobspiro.com and subscribe to our newsletter.